Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Victory Outdoors, the podcast. Uh, today I'm joined by basically field producer uh, Jake Reed. Uh, Jake, uh, man, uh, how you been? Not bad, not bad at all. Been uh, doing a lot of shooting, doing a lot of kind of twisting my setup a little bit and spending way too much money on archery, that's all I know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like this time of the year, man, uh, it's kind of busting out all the new toys and seeing what's, I mean, everybody's getting ready for turkey season, but, you know, those those hardcore archery guys like you, uh, you guys are um, kind of getting ready for indoors kind of starting to wind down and you guys are getting ready to start some of the outdoor. I know back when I used to shoot a lot, um, late March, early April is when they always had the chili you know, invitationals or whatever they call them. Like you, you always like you'd show up to a club shoot and they'd have a free bowl of chili that you got with every entry fee or something along those lines. So get to be that time of the year. Yeah. They have one of those, uh, right next to my house. Actually, it's the Warren County, Isaac Walton league. Um, they have a chili shoot coming up in April and I remember shooting it. It was the prettiest shoot I've ever been to by far. I was shooting through like holes in the timber of just snow cover and it was it was simply amazing really yeah and for you folks that are from the south uh we still have snow in april in iowa it's a pretty common event unfortunately um i wish we didn't have snow right now man i mean uh we were just talking um kind of before we got started here uh about you know shed hunting and and uh trying to get out and man today it is like 10 degrees with a wind chill of like negative like puts it down to like a negative eight it's just not i mean it's late you know it's basically i guess i'd call it you know mid to late april or excuse me mid to late march i mean it's it's prime time to be out finding antlers um most of the bucks have dropped i've seen a few still carrying but for the most part you should be able to find some antlers and it's just so fun to be out in this cold of weather you know, this whole time of year, it's super weird because it goes from snow-covered to muddy. Yeah. And then which one's really worse? I mean, obviously, you can find sheds easier in the mud than you can, can in the snow. But trudging around in it, you know, especially for guys like me where I'm, I'm simply either they don't shed where I can hunt or where I can walk or I just don't see them. Like, my eyesight's bad. I know that. But it can't be that bad. I can't walk over 20 sheds a year. Like, okay, two, three I get, but 20, you know. But luckily some other guys on the team are really good about it, and I get to yeah. at least hold some bone this time of year. Yeah, I, I don't think you probably give yourself enough credit. Like, you're better than I am. I think, you know, most everybody on the team is probably better at shed hunting than I am. That includes, like, you know, Carrie and Natalie. They, they seem to do better at it than I do. I mean – even Carrie and I went out, took the two younger kids with us uh, a couple weeks back. And I mean, we weren't, we were just going through the first gate. Um, and there's a food plot right there that Carrie killed a nice doe out of uh, late season. And about not too, about 10 yards from where that doe dropped, um, there was a big, nice, uh, not a monster, but probably like a, you know, 30 inch side or, 40 inch side um eight pointer sitting there and it was like nice nice antler you know nothing nothing too crazy and she's like she's like hey go have b pick that one up and i'm like what and i look over and there's an antler there she's just like no big deal like oh there it is there's an antler 
I'm like, that's pretty good antler. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm not, it's not my forte. Uh, you know, Dennis, man, he, he's really good at it. Drexel, they get out. Uh, Garrett. Um, I know Talon gets out there in Kansas. He was, he was doing a little shed hunting. Um, and uh, Zach, he doesn't do a ton of shed hunting. But you know what Zach is really good at finding? Morel mushrooms. That dude, and he and he's one of those guys. He's one of those mushroom freaks. Like he likes to get out and do it. Like he, as soon as he knows those mushrooms are popping, man, he's out there searching for them, and he knows all the spots and all that stuff. He'll come back with a whole grocery sack full of them. It's like again, not something I'm good at. Like I can kill deer, I can kill turkeys. Uh, I am not. I don't know if it's an eyesight thing or what, but when it comes to looking for sheds, when it comes to looking for all that kind of stuff, it is not my forte. Um, I wish I was better at it. Um, I I have, you know, I, I love shed hunting. It's fun. I love fighting the sheds. I'm just, just, you put on so many miles and for, you know, maybe one or two and it's like, uh, you know, like I'm not out there like Dennis walks like, he'll walk like a, he'll do 12 miles in a day or something like that, which is not, you know, I'm not, I'll do 12 miles. That's not that big a deal, but it seems like I do 12 miles and I found a shed and he does 12 miles and comes away with like six or eight. So, but yeah. So man, yeah. The 3d archery. Uh, so what were you shooting today? I know you, you had a shoot this morning. What, what'd you end up? What, what, what kind of shoot was that? Yeah. Me and a buddy, um, that I actually kind of met through shooting. His name's Wolfgang. Uh, we shot a two-man best shot indoor shoot, uh, 50 yard max, known yardage. Um, kind of not my forte, but I'm a, I'm kind of an unknown yardage, 40 yard max kind of guy, uh, bow hunter class basically. That's kind of where I've thrived, you know, with the as as mentioned, crappy eyesight and all that stuff. I just you get out there and there's so many things that can go wrong, you know, past 40 yards. And I'm not a perfect shot by any means, but I just bought a new site actually last night and I ran up to the archery shop and I threw a t- sight tape on it and everything else. And I, it's my first time ever shooting a lens and it was a totally different experience. Um, something that I definitely think I'm going to have to get used to. But once I do, I think that these guys that have just been beating me and got really used to it probably better watch out because I'm coming for the money. <laughs> nice yeah um you know i i've never shot a lens either i know dennis messed around with one um he had one year where he had a um torn retina and he had like an eye problem and he was having trouble seeing the pins everything was blurry and so he put a lens on there and it helped clear it up for him a lot and and when i mean that i'm talking about a lens in a inside the peep you know type of lens yeah like a Uh, clarifier or a verifier Yes, exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> and I don't know all the technical stuff about that part of it because I've never used one, but it helped him. And then he got rid of it once his eye kind of healed. Once he was healed up and he was able to get rid of it, he got rid of it. Um, but, you know, those are, um, you know, a lot of times people are like, you know, if you, you know, wear glasses or you have poor eyesight and that kind of stuff, you know, it's it's a different deal. Um, especially if you're like a bifocal type person, like where you need reading glasses and you need the far, you know, assistance and that kind of stuff. Like a lot of times, um, just simply wearing contacts, like that's not going to do it. 
when it comes to archery. When you're talking about those two different planes, and you're trying to look through a peep sight and line up the, you know, line up the peep sight with the, with the pin, and and then try to see the target beyond the pin and all that kind of stuff, and trying to keep all that kind of in perspective. There's a lot going on there that I don't probably understand like you do, um, where I've I don't have glasses and but my wife does like she's got contacts and it's 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 a lot different like she really doesn't want to shoot with glasses on she wants to have the contacts in when she's when she especially when she's bow hunting she doesn't want to wear glasses sometimes when we'll shoot like just practice and stuff like that she'll just use her glasses but and and i i'm just kind of thinking like my routine and where my string hits and where my peep hits and how everything lines up. It's like, I can't imagine having glasses on my face because I've had sunglasses on my face before and you go to shoot and you're like, Oh, got to get these sunglasses off and got to take them, you know, get them. Cause I don't like it. It hits, you know, where my, where that string comes in, it hits my nose and everything comes across my face. It like, just, I don't like having the glasses there. I can't see through the glasses, the frames get in the way of the peep and all that kind of stuff. And it's just for whatever reason, like, that's something that I just think about the people who do wear glasses and and contacts about what kind of a struggle that ends up being. And then, you know, when you start talking about being a competitive archer and you guys will have to forgive Jake. He sometimes doesn't probably give himself as much credit as he does. He, He, you know, claims to be a bow hunter, bow hunter class type guy and that kind of thing. But he also has won the Iowa uh, Iowa games gold medal. I know he doesn't like to brag about it and that kind of stuff. He doesn't like to tell people about it, but I will. Um, so, uh, but, uh, I mean, it was one of the coolest things. Like I, and to some degree I was sitting there going, man, I'm kind of, kind of a little jealous, man. That's sweet. Like I totally want one of those, <laughs> like, um, you know, and, and, uh, it's always been something that I thought, man, I should go shoot the Iowa games. That'd be fun. You know? And I would never dream though. I mean, I won, uh, maybe a handful of 3D archery tournaments, and it was just because I happened to be the best guy that showed up that day, you know. And like, guaranteed, like some of the top shooters around and that kind of stuff. Whether it was when I was up in Northeast Iowa, I can't hold a candle to some of them dudes. And and uh, um, you know, and I I really do. I I would put myself in that bow hunter class. Like, I mean, you and I have shot together before and that kind of stuff. And it's like. Um, even when I was really competitive, really into it and that kind of stuff, even then it was like, I'm doing it for fun. I'm doing it for practice. You know, I, I'm doing it to be a better hunter. And it's almost like when I got into turkey calling the same thing, like I did it to make me a better hunter. Um, yeah, I love competition. Like, I mean, uh, and with, with 3d archery for me, well, I do have some guys that I like shooting with that it's a, there, there is like a friendly competition between us when we shoot and that kind of thing. And that's fun. Um, it's like golf to me. 3d archery is that trying to, you know, better your, yourself. Like, can I beat myself? Like, can I, absolutely. Yeah. Can I end up with that better score, that personal better score, you know, so like in golf, you're trying to get that low score and like, oh, you know, I mean, my personal best is a 38 or something like that. I don't know. Um, you know, and then in, uh, you know, in archery, you're looking at, you know, okay, can you shoot an entire round without 
you know, a five. I mean, when I first started, you know, my, you know, the buddies I was shooting with is like, yeah, just try not to miss one, you know, try not to have a zero on a target. And it's like, can you remember the last time I missed a target? Um, actually I, I can, cause it was in Nebraska this year. Uh, like very first target, like shot. I watched the... people that have shot in the Olympics, miss targets. I mean, yeah, it happens yeah. to everyone. Yeah. It, in this case of that Nebraska shoot that you and I shot at earlier this year, um, the, the targets were indoor. They were so tight together that they intentionally put these really tight windows to make it hard. And I, they had this doe target right in front of the vitals of this. I think it was a buck or something, or maybe it was an elk or something we were shooting at. It was like the very first target. And my first arrow was great. And I think it was my second arrow, like hit the one right in the face. Like I was like, ah, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I saw that deer target move. Either it's a great shot or I shot that deer in the face. So I got a zero. That was like my first zero I probably had in like 10 years, but, um, got a zero on that arrow. But generally like I can remember legitimately like starting out there, like I didn't want to miss. Then I was like, I didn't want to end up with a five. And then I got to, let's see how many, let's see how, what's the least number of eights I can get, you know, and have, and have all tens. And so most of the places I shot up in Northeast Iowa, they didn't score the 12. The 12 ring was a 10, but it was a 10 X. And so you put the X down, uh, you circled it because it was a tiebreaker. So if you were, if you were going to be in the money, you know, and you're going to be up there, then you wanted to keep track of those because it would be, you know, it would be a tiebreaker type situation. But realistically, like, um, you know, I mean, that's that's how I've always viewed it. So, like, I'm in that kind of category with what what how many eights am I going to have in a round of 40 targets? Right. And can I keep that number below whatever? And and that's, you know, my measurement tool for me, you know, and if I have a five, like I'm going to be disappointed, you know, but, um, you know, with as little as I've shot in the last couple of years with the with the little kids and stuff. Um, I, you know, I might shoot one or two 3d archery tournaments a year now. Um, that part of that, you know, part of that shooting the five though, is how do you battle back and how right. much pressure do you put on yourself? And honestly, how you, you overcome adversity. And it's just kind of like in any sport, you know, whether it be, you know, any individual sport, wrestling, pool, golf, stuff like that. Um, it's all about what you can do. So if you make a bad shot, do you let it get in your head and now the next three or four or five or your entire day is ruined? Or do you be like, well, I can shoot that five. And if I shoot three twelves, then it goes, you know, I'm basically back even. You're actually one up, but you're, you know, you're back even and just make up for it. Honestly, I've shot some of my best scores outside after shooting a five. I'll shoot like a five on like the fourth target. I'll be so mad at myself that I'm like, all right, for the rest of the shoot, I'm going to prove to myself how well I can shoot. And it, yeah. I love that about archery. And that's, and that's just that internal mental battle, you know, and that's, that transitions so well over to hunting um, because you can, you know, have a couple of hunts that don't go your way, whether they're misses or whether they're just, you know, out of your control like you know as as bow hunters we sometimes tend to get down on ourselves when the deer walks the opposite way and it's like there's nothing you can do about that like it wasn't you couldn't have changed anything about that hunt as the hunter the deer just simply didn't come by you within range and people have a tendency to sometimes get really hard you know down on themselves or or you know just 
get burned out, you know, like they've, you know, they're on their like fifth sit in a row and it's going to happen, going to happen, going to happen. And something happens and the deer goes a different direction or you miss or something crazy, you know, which we've all been there before as bow hunters. I mean, anybody who says they haven't just started bow hunting. Like if you haven't missed a deer, then you haven't been deer hunting that long. Um, now we all like to make good ethical, clean shots and that kind of stuff, but it's inevitable. Something will happen. And, um, whether it's a, you know, hopefully it's a clean miss, you know, and that kind of stuff. I mean, but there are times where it just happens and, and being able to mentally recover from that and rebound, you know, and do it in a quick manner like that, you know, I mean, when you're in the moment fourth target you shoot a five and you're upset with yourself and then it's like don't let that ruin the next five targets because you can easily go the next five targets eight 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 five eight and all of a sudden it's like now you really are out of it you know it's like you don't you completely you know hosed yourself there like it's like if you let that affect you in a bad way it can go the opposite way too um and i learned that early from a buddy of mine um that i shot with up in uh um, up in Northeast Iowa. And he was one of those guys, a scratch shooter, um, shot the worlds and all that kind of stuff. He was, he was one of the top dogs. And I met him at a money shoot and it was back when I was shooting like every weekend. Um, and I was hardcore, you know, into it. And, um, I was not of his caliber at all, but I got paired with him for a money shoot and you had to keep your score and your competitor score and then you basically basically you got you handed your scorecards to him and I, he handed me his scorecards for each of us and then we added up each other's sport and then, then they needed to match right so it's a way to keep people honest um because not only were you keeping your score but you're also keeping the guy you're shooting with score and you had to you know figure that out so he and i start out and we go first 10 targets you know 10 X's all the way through. I mean, we're just bam, 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 dead even with them. And I'm like, I'm, I, and I'm, and that's, it's a habit I have. Like I tend to shoot, if I'm shooting with something, somebody is really good. I tend to focus a lot more. And at least for the first couple of targets, um, I'm going to like be on my game and, and try to, you know, what, what do they call it in sports where you basically play up to your opponent or play down to your opponent. So like, depending on who I'm and I did that with golf all the time like I used to golf a lot in high school and and in college and shortly after I got out of college I'd play golf um with people and I would definitely play differently based on the competition I was playing and so um I I kind of found myself doing that and then I had an eight and he's like you dropped your bow like he he could tell he was watching me and he's like you dropped your bow hand like you you know he's like you need to hold your form longer and he goes oh he's that's why it's low because it was like boom it was like i missed low i had an eight um and he saw it right away and he corrected me right away i was like okay and then i did the exact same thing the next target and he's like dude what are you doing and i'm like i don't know and he goes just forget about it he's like you had an eight now you've got another eight don't have another one shoot a 10 he's like you just shot like 10 tens in a row he's like he goes, I don't know if that's normal for you or not. Cause he had just met me. Like we were, we, this is the first time we met and he's like, I don't know if that's normal for you or not, but if it's not like, 
you were on fire. Now all of a sudden you just had two eights and they were very, very correctable things. Like you dropped your bow arm. Like it's like <laughs> nothing's wrong with your equipment. It's totally you just, you know, stop doing it. And then I, and I corrected it and I, and I went on and, and, uh, you know, but he was just like, man, you just got to put it out of your head. Like quit thinking about it. Um, you know, it's like Michael Jordan, you know, uh, you know, forget you, you miss, doesn't matter. You miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take, you know, that's, uh, you know, you just got to keep going. So, yeah. And it, you know what, what I love about archery is it is a competitive sport, but it's kind of competitive against yourself. You know, if you're going to be, unless you're just getting started in it, which, you know, people will recognize from my experiences anyway, if you're just getting started in the sport, there's nobody that's going to put you down. Like, Hey, why are you, why'd you even show up today? You should, you're not in this caliber of shooters, like go home and practice and then come back. It's all giving you pointers and stuff like that. And then if you are shooting, you know, a little bad one day, everybody's like, hey, man, you're just having an off day. Or, hey, you know, you're pushing too hard or you're pulling too hard or it seems like your release may be set a little bit too stiff or, you know, something like that to where everybody's, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's competitive, but especially when you get into some of the upper echelon shooters in the world, they know that if they come in and they shoot their best arrow, they can beat almost anybody. So if they're having a bad day, it's their fault. It has nothing to do with you. So if you outshoot them on a day, don't rub it in. I've done that before, and it never goes well because they they come back (laughs) with a vengeance the next time. But, you know, it's it's all in good fun. And, you know, these guys that I was shooting with today... I've shot several shoots with them and they've beat me every single time. And they're all, they all like, Hey man, you were two points out of the money with a bow hunter setup, And here we are, you know, we're shooting six, eight power, four power lenses and dots and all that. And I'm like, you know, maybe it's just time to buy that kind of stuff. And hopefully, you know, not be two points out of it, which we were a couple today. Um, today hit uh the last two arrows didn't go our way if the last two arrows would have been good shots instead of pushing you know we were kind of pushing ourselves and uh we were shooting asas today and i don't know you know if everybody knows what asa scoring is or ibo scoring but for those of you that don't know if you ever go up to a 3d target and you see you know three little dots inside the six inch circle you know, that six inch circle will be the 10 ring. And then the middle, you know, smaller ring will be the IBO 12 ring. And then the ASA 12 rings are the upper and lower. So in ASA scoring, you're always, you're always allowed to shoot the lower, but if you want to shoot the upper, you have to call it. So it's kind of tricky because there's a ton of guys out there that sometimes will be like, well, I called that upper because they pushed their bow hand up and hit it or whatever. But you know, everybody kind of shuts that down pretty quick and you kind of learn. Um, I remember there was one year that me and a buddy, we shot the Iowa bow hunters association, triple crown. And I think I was in third and he was in first, something like along those lines, there was a guy in between us. Um, and I had outshot the guy in, in second in one shoot. 
and he had outshot me in the second shoot, but the third shoot was the IBA banquet up in Eldora. And anybody that's ever shot that course will tell you it is one of the hardest outdoor 3D courses in the state. So I think I shot like a 406 and a 404 on the last two courses. They weren't my best, you know, weren't my best outings, but they were enough. And my buddy was sitting solid in first. I think he shot like a 412 and a 418. And this kid wrote down, because there's no, it wasn't for money or anything. It's just kind of for bragging rights. And the person that ended up getting first said that they shot a 442 in Eldora. Out of, you know, 40 targets with 12s, it's out of 480. And everybody looked at that score and his name is forever etched in everybody's mind as a cheater because there's absolutely no way that you can go to an easier shoot and shoot, you know, a lesser score and shoot, you know, your average, let's say your average is 410, which is awesome. You know, you're shooting 10 points up at 40 targets. That means you shot five twelves out of 40 targets. Or if you had some eights in there, you know, if you shot five eights, maybe you shot 10 twelves. And so that's a pretty good average, but if you say you shot a 442 at the hardest course, like nobody's going to believe you. So, yeah, it's well, it's and, one of those things. Yeah, and I've shot that. I've shot that course before. I shot the, um, I shot their Triple Crown back. It's been ten or fifteen years ago because our club hosted one of the legs. Um, so up in Clayton County, we hosted one of the legs. Um, and that year, and I think the following year I shot it. Um, and yeah, their fall festival, um, that they have, uh, there in Eldora, the, I shot it one year. Um, and then the next year I went and shot it. They had this horrific, like thunderstorm that rolled through and I'm not kidding you. It took every leaf off of every tree um, broke like almost all the vehicles that were out there had broken windows um, I actually saw it coming on the radar and I didn't go out onto the course but people were out on the course in it and I mean they were it was huge hailstones like and, and when I taught I mean it littered the ground with hailstones the wind I mean the trees blew over like we were underneath the shelter and I'm not kidding you. Like I thought like this is going to be how I die in a tornado, you know, at the IBA fall festival. Like it was crazy. Like, um, and, uh, the, the, the hailstones were huge. They were like disc shaped and they were like, um, probably two and a half inches in diameter, but they were like these disc shaped things. So they came flying in and they skipped off of stuff and they're skipping off the cement and hitting you in the back of the legs and everything. It was, it was wild. And when it was all said and done, it was just like total devastation. Um, you know, trees down everywhere, you know, the people that were stuck out on the course, I mean, guys like huddled over their, um, kids to protect their kids from getting hit. And they had like, their backs were just covered in, in, you know, pock marks like just bruised up. They had their shirts off, and they because they had some of them had to take the shirts off to put you know around their heads because their heads were bleeding, and it was just it was unreal. And um, I haven't been back to it since then. Uh, 
Um, I don't even know if they moved it from that. It was up there in Eldora at that um, state park. Can't remember what it's called, but it absolutely defoliated every tree. Like there wasn't a leaf left on a tree. It looked like it was winter. The soybean field next to it was complete. Looked like somebody hit it with a brush hog. The soybean field just mowed to the ground. And my truck was totaled. Um, thankfully, it. Uh, my uncle owns a body shop, so I was able to have it uh, fixed. Um, you know, for pretty cheap. But um, yeah, you you hate to see like obvious. You know, when you, when it's supposed to be a gentleman's type sport where you're supposed to keep your own score. And you're just supposed to be honest about it. And you see something that's so far out of what that person did before. It's hard to, you know, it's just you, you question it. It's like, okay, how did you come to the premier event for this and shoot that much better of a score on a harder course? Um, and everybody, all your competitors who are in the mix are sitting there going, well, that's a head scratcher. Like, you know, and. It's, it's too bad because it's just um, – yeah, I, I remember these two uh, – my buddies that I used to shoot with all the time, they like, can't beat a sharp pencil. <laughs> so my used to buddy, always say that. My buddy that I shot with at that shoot still has not turned in a scorecard to a single shoot since then. Um, honestly, he's a, he's a heck of a shot, you know, kind of about the same as me. Um, and he – He's like, you know what? Ever since then, I I kind of lost interest in, you know, turning in the scorecard. It's not like we're winning anything, um, yeah. Other than bragging rights, and honestly, the the biggest reason that I got into it to start out with and stayed in bow hunter class was it was all unknown yardage, right? And when you're in the middle of a field and you don't have time, especially you know us that are filming, you don't have time to run a rangefinder and a camera and a bow and everything else, so it just teaches you that extra element that helps you in the woods. And when I started out, my scores were horrific and it wasn't because I wasn't a good shot because honestly, when I was younger, I, I was a heck of a lot better shot than I am now. And it was just cause I simply could not guess yardage. You know, this target may be at 22 yards and I'd think it was at 28 and I'd shoot a five. Yeah. And, you know, vice versa. Then the next one I'd walk up to, I was like, oh, that I made this mistake before. It's 22 yards, and it was actually 27 or 28. And it just did that for quite a long time. And then I felt myself starting to get better and starting to get better. And it, to this day, if it's inside of 40 yards and we're on the same plane, now being in a tree stand kind of makes it a little bit different. Uh, but if we're on the same plane, I'm, I can be within a couple yards usually, um, within 40. Once you get out to that, you know, 50 to 80 range, I'm, I'm not great at it. You know, so I still carry a range finder and if I have time, I use it. Um, the deer hunts that I was on this last year, I did not have time to use it. Um, whether it be my deer hunt or Courtney's deer hunt, um, but, and part of me would like a little bit of that back. Um, she actually ended up missing a buck. And I'm not too sure that I might not have told her a few extra yards. Um, whether it would have changed anything, I don't know. Um, unfortunately, I found that deer dead the first time I went shed hunting. 
probably about a 140 inch 10 pointer would have been a heck of a deer for her to finish on or to start her hunting career on, um, especially with her bow. But, you know, that's things happen, you know, whether it be, I, I misjudged the yardage and told her wrong or just simply buck fever, you know, who knows, but she has taken it in such a good way, you know, cause it, I always try and tell people you learn the most from your mistakes. So she ended up not having a good hunt that day. And the first thing she said to me when we got to the truck is she's like, Hey, I want, I want to get a new bow. Cause I, I don't feel like this one's really serving me. And I want to start either find a woman's league somewhere around, or I want to start shooting an archery league. Cause I want to get, want to get comfortable in it to where I feel like I can make that shot every single time. And I yeah. said, you know what? I think you're 100% right. So we uh, we bought her an Expedition DLX, and she's going to be shooting the crap out of it this year. So I'm excited. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that's that's the thing, though. I mean, you know, it's going to go one or two ways when people experience that that uh, disappointment, you know, that, that first bit of failure. And either they're going to be driven to be better and you know what like i need to make some changes i need to get better get more comfortable with this you know it's like one of those things where um you know there's a there's a saying that i came across when i you know when i started losing weight and started working out and started running and doing all that kind of stuff and the saying basically says don't be upset with the results that you didn't get from the work that you didn't do and to me, it's like, it just kind of clicked. It's like, yeah. Like, even like when you think back to like some of the unfortunate things that might've happened during a hunt or during a 3d archery shoot or something along those lines. And it's like, okay, were they just a freak thing? Cause sometimes that happens. Like, let's be honest. Like sometimes they're just things that happen that, Hey, it just wasn't your day and it didn't happen. Or if you're, you know, or look at it and say, was there something that I could have done that maybe would have prepared me better and I wouldn't have had the adverse outcome? So I think to back to me personally, some of my missed opportunities, whether that was on a deer or a turkey, um, you know, I look at some of those missed opportunities and I think, you know, if I would have shot my bow more often, been more familiar with my bow um in that situation in that scenario i would have you know been successful when i had that opportunity and it, and it really talks you know people talk about people who are lucky you know and i have this thing on my facebook tag that says luck is when preparation meets opportunity so when you've prepared for something and the opportunity arises and you capitalize on that it's not because you were lucky like you can manufacture luck. Like a people that ha find success a lot, you know, that are very, very successful, whether that's in the hunting woods, you know, whether that's hunting deer, turkeys, whether that's shooting, you know, uh, playing any kind of sport whatsoever, they didn't get there and they didn't, they weren't successful because they were lucky. They were successful because they prepared. And that preparation, whether it's practice or whatever the case may be, heck, you can take preparation to the level of, you know, trail cameras scouting um you know shooting your bow of course is practice but 
bottom line is there's so many levels and layers of preparation. You know, when it comes to turkey hunting, I talk about it in my turkey hunting seminars. Like, did you scout? Did you shoot your gun? Did you check and make sure it's still on? Did you check in? Are you shooting your bow? If you're going to archery hunt, are you going to, are you going to shoot your bow often enough to be able to make that shot? Um, you know, and, and as hunters, we think, oh yeah, you know, I'm, I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to definitely be ready for that opportunity. But, um, you know, when something happens, it's not exactly to the script and you have to maybe make an off balance, you know, shot or take a shot where maybe you're like, I was forced to sit down to take a shot in a tree stand because of a limb from the direction the buck came this year, the limb that was in the way I couldn't, I could not stand and shoot my bow that to my left. I could shoot straight out in front of me and I could shoot to my right standing, but I could not shoot to my left. And to be honest, not that many deer came from my left, but the buck eventually did come from my left with a bunch of other deer. And I knew I'd have to sit to make that shot. Well, drawing your bow in a seated position when you're cold is a lot different than drawing your bow standing in your normal position um, in the summer. <laughs> so, um, Absolutely. you know, I, I actually had drawn my bow sit, sitting a couple of times, um, while I had hunted, I hunted that sand a lot this year. I killed a coyote actually sitting. Um, I think it was November 8th or something like that. I killed a coyote, um, came from the left and I had to, I had to, um, be seated when I drew. And when I did that, I knew, Oh, like that's a whole different thing. And so I actually started practicing. Uh, so I shoot every morning. I do, um, I think you call it blind bail shooting. I'll let you talk about that here in a minute, but, um, uh, I do basically what people would call blind bail shooting or I don't, I actually aim. I use my 40 yard pin. I'm about four yards from the target. I use my, actually I use my 50 yard pin on this bow. And so I aim with my 50 yard pin and I'm trying to pick out the tiniest thing on a target, aiming small to miss small. And really what I'm doing is I'm, I'm doing the blind bail thing where I'm trying to just get that muscle memory back, get my, get a good draw cycle, you know, and then get a good clean release. Cause I shoot a, a trigger release. Um, and so just trying to get that so I'm not punching the trigger or anything like that and just trying to get a nice, good, clean release. And um, so that it, then when it happens in the woods, it's just automatic, right? So I do that in the morning after I work out. Um, I, I at least shoot uh, three to five arrows um, doing that and sometimes more, but um, I do that for sure every morning. And what that does is um, it, it, I started doing that sitting down because as soon as I shot that coyote, I realized that's a whole different motion and it wasn't something I was exactly ready for. And I almost cost me killing that coyote um, because I got to about here and my arm was still bent and I was starting to hit the back of the seat of, or the tree that was behind me. And I had to push my bow arm out and I like was like, wow, that took a lot to get to lock out, like to get that to lock out the way I wanted it to. Um, was seemed much more difficult than I anticipated it was going to be. And I was like, I was like, whoops. Um, and then I just turned and, and got the shot off and I killed the coyote right where he was. I mean, he just boom, done. Um, but the, the 
possibility of that fail was very real in that moment. And I recognized that. So then I started sitting on, um, I started sitting on my, uh, the stools to shoot, to kind of help me get used to that motion and make sure that I was able to do that. And then it was about 20 days later that I finally killed my buck in a seated, or seated position. And, and so, um, and it was, again, it was a little, it was a little sketchy. Like I went to draw back and I, I was like, Oh, Oh no, this is good. Like, I got to get it. <gasps> got to get it back, you know? Um, so it's one of those things like, you know, I, I, uh, um, I, I, I'm not shooting a heavy pounded bow. You know, I mean, it's 70 pound bow It's probably actually measures out at about 73. So it's a little heavy, but it's not like some of these guys that are shooting 80 and 90 pound limbs. I mean, I'm not doing something crazy like that, but still, I think the draw cycle in that MX 32 is just uh, so it's so much different than the draw cycle was in the MX 16, at least for me. And with my long draw length, it's, it's a, it's a completely different the way it builds and it really has a, a, a really uh, it's, it's nice to have that drop over, but it builds, 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 and then it, dunk, it comes over. But it's, um, that peak weight is right at the end. It's not at the beginning. And that weight does build pretty good in it. Um, love the bow and that kind of stuff. But that draw cycle is much different than MX-16 was. Um, and that new, the new 33s that they've got coming, um, it's 33, right? Yep. The X-Lite? 33 yeah. and a 31. Yeah, yeah. The X-Lite, those new bows, uh, shot that at the Deer Classic a couple weeks ago. And you talk about an beautiful draw like that bow might be the sweetest drawing bow that i maybe have ever ever shot like yeah um, i i don't know that i've ever been so in love with a bow after like three shots yeah like when so i get I, that thing in my hand i don't know that i'm ever going to give it up yeah so i drew that thing and it reminds me almost of like i had like when i first started uh 3d archery i had an old martin moab and the Martin Moab was a single cam bow. And at that time I had never shot a really, a, a really a nice flagship bow, right? Like I had shot like some, um, reflexes and some, some cheaper brands and that kind of stuff. And so I had that Martin Moab and, and I started shooting that and it was a single cam bow and I never shot anything but dual cam bows before that. So I was like, man, this thing's sweet. It's super smooth. And so it kind of reminds me of that. It's a binary cam though. Um, and, and so it, it, but it, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful shooting bow. I can't wait to get, uh, can't wait till my X light comes in. Um, because not that I like, it's funny. I didn't want to give up my MX 32. Like, even though it was a different draw, um, it was a really good shooting bow, like very accurate. Um, and, and really, uh, did a lot for me that way. But, um, we kind of went down a rabbit hole. We were talking about, uh, <laughs> we can come back and talk about those bows here in a minute, but we were kind of talking about just kind of, um, digging yourself out of the hole and, and not, you know, and, and just making sure that you prepare, you know, um, to be successful. And, um, that's one of the things that, you know, I think, doesn't you know those guys that are you know world champions at anything 
doesn't matter if it's turkey calling, doesn't matter if it's archery, you know, um, the guys that are the best of the best and that kind of stuff, um, they are definitely putting in the work. And so unless you're one of those guys, you can probably do more work to be better. And, um, you know, I mean, we all have our limitations, time, you know, limitations and that kind of stuff where we have commitments, you know, um, everybody on the Victory Outdoors, um, you know, team, we have day jobs. Like none of us do this Victory Outdoor stuff as our job. I mean, um, you know, this is, the, you know, this is the side hustle, right? Um, but uh, we all have day jobs. Uh, a lot of us have families and kids um, or have, uh, you know, significant others and, and wives and that kind of stuff. Um, so, I mean, you know, we have other things that take time that we have to commit time to. Uh, and so you do have some limitations that way. But I mean, that's like where, where you know, for me, uh, and I talked about this on one of our other podcasts, for me, like getting up at 4.30 in the morning is not something I thought I'd ever do in order to get my workout in, shoot my bow, and read my Bible. But of those three things, those were three things that I would otherwise not do on a daily basis if it wasn't for getting up and having the discipline to get out of bed when that alarm goes off at 4.30. It, it, those aren't things that I would do underneath my normal day because I wouldn't have time for it. And the only time I do have for it is that early. So for me personally, that's how I have to, how I have to attack that. Like if I want to set that goal and I'm going to be better at something and it's like, okay, what do I, you know, and, and I like to call them healthy habits because like it becomes a habit, you know, and you can have all the motivation in the world you want. Like people can motivate you to do stuff. You can hear a motivational speech and it'll last for a couple of days, maybe only a couple of hours. You know, you can listen to a, you know, a motivational um, video or, or whatever the case may be. And it might motivate you to some degree. But motivation, you know, like in, in, you've probably heard this if you've listened to any kind of motivational type stuff. But, you know, that motivation is more of a, an emotion. Like it comes and goes. But if you can build that healthy habit and you can start to build on those healthy habits. And so mine was interesting. It first became like, you know, um, Carrie and I kind of started working at losing weight. And so I'm like, okay, honey, if you do it, I'll do it. But like she did it for a month. And, and then I was like, then I jumped into it like a month after she had proven that she could do it for a month. And it's like, all right, well, I guess if she can do it, I can do it. So it's almost like she was like, had to be the example for me. But one of the things that was interesting is that was a healthy habit that became, um, it, it became a, it, it just became a normal thing that we did. We didn't eat out. We didn't eat garbage food and we meal planned. We just, just eating healthy, but it was mostly geared around just planning ahead. So you could save time by just basically planning, doing some cooking, maybe on a Sunday or a Monday, get some stuff done, get it ready for the next, that whole week so that you knew what you're going to be able to eat and you wouldn't sit there and go, oh, let's just fire up the old, uh, you know, Grubhub or whatever and, and get something ordered or something like that, you know. Um, so, you know, that was that was one aspect of it. So then I wanted to start working out. I was like, okay, that's going to that's gonna be a whole different ball game, right? And started out with working out and then I'm like, well, while I'm up, 
might as well read my Bible. So then I started doing that because um, I wanted to be better at it. I just, you know, just like I was, I'd meet with, I'd meet with some of my guys, at, you know, that I go to church with and stuff like that. We have these, you know, we have men's breakfasts and we have just some times where we just get together just to have coffee, like one-on-one iron sharpens iron type of thing. Right. Just, you know, talk about life and that kind of stuff. And they'd always ask me like, well, uh, how's, how's your, t- you know, how, are you getting your reading in? Are you doing any, you know, reading your Bible at all? You know, if so, what are you reading? It's like, uh, yeah, it could be better. <laughs> like that'd be my answer. My standard answer. Like, yeah, it could be better, <laughs> you know, which they knew, they knew that it meant I wasn't, you know, that I wasn't getting into the word like I should. Right. And I mean, if that's, you know, and that's, that's important to some people, it's not necessarily important to everybody, but, um, but if, if you are a Christian, you understand, you know, that importance. So that was just something again, just a healthy habit. And then that spilled over to shoot my bow. I was like, you know what? Like I could also shoot my bow after I get done working out. So, you know, I'd spend between 40 minutes to an hour on the treadmill, get my run in, um, get my run in, uh, maybe lift some weights and that kind of stuff, hit the Bible, uh, which I do on my phone. I got a Bible app, so just do it on my phone. Um, and then, um, while I was actually doing the Bible stuff in between that, I would be shooting my bow. Um, so, you know, it's kind of one of those things. It was like kind of multitask a little bit to some degree. Um, and, just being able to do that and build those healthy habits, although I didn't see something where it remarkably turned like that little tiny bit of recognizing when I shot that Kai out that, oh, maybe I should practice sitting down more because it's a different motion. Just being able to, you know, take that little lesson, it made it more likely that I'd be successful that next time, which the next time I had to shoot to my left, sitting down happened to be a 155 inch six-year-old buck and um you know i i I made a okay shot um wasn't a perfect shot by any means um should should have been better (laughs) um i i feel like it should have been better but it was one of those things where you're sitting you're you're sitting down and the deer's walking from my left to my right and by the time i get clear where i have an open shot opportunity at him where he's got open vitals i'm now like this and so, um, as it were, I ended up hitting him. He was also walking. Um, I didn't really want to s- stop him cause I had about six does right there staring at me. So I thought if I made any sound at all, they might blow, uh, blow out of there and take him with. So I just took the That's shot as he was walking. Controversial. Yeah. I know. Every, yep. Everybody has their own way. You know, I, I, I meet so many archers. Um, one of us, one of them is our good friend, Chris. He sights yeah. his bow in low for those for those deer to actually jump the string, and you know it, Zach does I, too. I feel like you know if that deer is close enough and not not on a trot or anything like that, I don't want them to know that I'm there. Yeah, I feel like if the deer has no idea that you're there, most of the time they don't have the time. Now, granted, there's there's always that chance. That's why, you know, as a bow hunter, everybody has their own spot that they like to aim at. But, you know, I usually go about three inches off the shoulder to where you're in the center of the lung and center of the body. That way I have plenty of margin for error, whether the error be me or the deer moving or what, whatever the case may be. But, you know, it's funny, I shot my deer on a walk this year, too. 
And I've had plenty of people like, well, why didn't you stop him? I'm like, well, because he looked right at me at 25 yards making a scrape when I already had to move, shuffle my feet in the tree stand to turn around to shoot. And I didn't want him to have any other inkling to just take off running or maybe he stares at me and that arrow doesn't get there fast enough. You know, today's bows are fast, but they're not deer fast. (laughs) So I, I wanted him to be as calm as possible and I've had it work both ways, you know, in a couple of years ago, you know, it's been a few, I guess, but if he would have ducked, I would have had a a very large deer on the wall. (laughs) Um, and you know, this deer just didn't move at all. And I stand by that. And I also, you know, guys like Chris and Zach, they have their ways of doing it. And it's definitely not the wrong way. Um, because it works for them. Obviously right. they're both right. excellent shots and excellent deer killers, but yeah, it, I, I always like to get people's feedback. So, you know, if anybody wants to hit up the comments about stopping, stopping deer or not stopping deer and your reasoning, why I would definitely love to read it and see, you know, what, what your answers are. Cause I'm, I'm genuinely curious on what people's answers are and, and why they do what they do. Cause ultimately we can all learn from each other. Yeah. So, um, you mentioned, you know, the bows are fast, but they're not deer fast. And, you know, it's funny. Like I, I remember, you know, when we talk about arrow selection and guys that shoot really, really, really light arrows because they want to get that max speed, that max IBO speed, they're looking at the bow and they're like, Oh, my bow should be an IBO of, you know, 360. And I'm like, you realize there's not any discernible difference between 300 and 360 when it comes to that deer hearing because the speed of sound is 1125. So 1,125 feet per second is how fast sound travels. Well, I got news for you. There's no compound bow in the world that's going to come close to that, no matter how light your arrow is. And um, so the the sound is always going to reach the deer. Now, there's something that comes into that that factors into it, the deer's ability then to react to it. So their reaction time, there's also going to be a little bit of um, a lag there, obviously, because ha- the, the, the sound has to come in process through their brain and they have to react their body to do it. But you've seen like in slow-mo video, like you can see how fast a deer reacts to it because they don't think. And, and I've said this on a couple of podcasts now, I think um, about, and I, and I talk about it in different seminars that I do. We as humans put human characteristics on animals. And so they don't, Oh, that's a, you know, they don't process it. They just, Um, it's kind of like when somebody jumps out and scares you from around the corner and you flinch, you know, and you, you have a reaction, you do that purely out of a reactionary state. There is nothing other than just your initial reaction, no matter what that might be. That's why sometimes people get punched in the face. Um, It's instinctual. I mean, your brain doesn't have time to process it. Exactly. That's 100%. the word I was looking for. That's what, that's the word I was looking for. Instinct. You know, I mean, they, they do that on instinct. So a deer is going to do that. They're going to react to the sound of the bow in some form or fashion. 
and you can try to make them as quiet as possible. You can do all the things you need to do. You can try to shoot the fastest setup you can, and that's fine. But the amount that you're going to change that margin for error, that's why people like Chris and Zach do that. That's why they set up their bows to shoot low because they're shooting, they call it shooting for the drop. So you're going to basically set up and you're going to talk about like, I expect that deer at a certain yardage to have that flinch and have that drop. And, and so like Zach's philosophy on it, because I've talked to Zach about it a lot. So his philosophy on it is, is okay, I come to full draw and I'm going to shoot. Then I want like he aims right at the heart. And he is basically set up that his pin, no matter what it is, will be about an inch low. Um, sometimes two inches low, depending on which, which pin we're talking about. But for the most part, it's like an inch low. He aims at the heart. And so his thought process is there. If that deer drops two inches, he's still going to cut the top of the heart off. If that deer drops four inches, he's still going to hit. He's still going to double lung that deer because right above the top of the heart is going to be all lungs. And there should be not really any chance that he, that a deer between the time you release the arrow and it gets dropped, no matter how fast your action time is, that they should probably get to where they'll duck out of there by, you know, where they're going to, where they're going to really get it, be able to get out of the way of the arrow. Now there's some extreme scenarios where I've seen some crazy things, but a lot of times when you see like a deer duck a string and it's like it's out there at that 40 to 60 yard range like it's a long shot and the longer the shot the more time that deer has to react to the sound um, because you're obviously the further away you are the longer it takes the arrow to get there but the, the sounds there you know infinitely sooner um, and so that deer has a chance to react and and I know that you know, like not necessarily in Zach's situation, but you know, um, Chris, he, he does practice regularly at a hundred and 120 yards. Now he doesn't kill very many deer at those ranges, but he does practice a lot at super, super long ranges. So if he's going to even take a 60 yard shot, which for him would not be out of that realm of possibility, um, to take that kind of shot. Um, and that, you know, like if you're shooting at 120 yards, a lot of times people believe in this, you know, if you're going to shoot 20 yards, then you should at least practice out to 40, you know, cause then you're going to be, it just helps you be that much better. So if you're going to shoot, if you're going to shoot out to 40, you should probably practice at at least 80 because if you're shooting at 80 and you can be somewhat proficient, it's going to make that 40 yard that much easier. So kind of doubling that maximum yardage. So if whatever your maximum is going to be double that, and then you should be able to practice out to that range you know just make your effective if you're going to shoot at 60 well you could practice at 120 then so that's kind of yep. a little bit of the philosophy there but um you know a 60 yard shot is a long ways even on a, a completely relaxed animal they're going to have some kind of reaction so it kind of makes sense that they're going to aim low but you know those are those are things that you know um you're expecting that drop and, and, you know, some deer are going to react differently than others. And I mean, um, 
it's it, some people would say like I'm never going to take that shot, and I don't know that I would. Um, I I I I know that I took a 50 yard shot, um, you know, this last year, and I mean, it was the most beautiful era ever. I like I, I even like watching. It's like I missed like, and it's not a fun thing to miss, but it was a clean miss. And I sit there and watch that arrow just flying through the air and it looks so perfect. And that deer, it drops. And I'm thinking, oh yes, it's going to drop right into there. It's going to be perfect. And it misses low. And I'm like, how in the world? And so what I ended up figuring out is the deer, I thought he was at 45 to 50. So I held my 50 at the bottom of his belly while he was actually at 55 and I had ranged him but I had ranged him before he his last move and he had walked and I didn't realize that he'd walked back further than he was like he was in a pasture so there was he went behind an oak tree came out on the other side of an oak tree he's with a doe hot doe and it's funny because the arrow hits and they jump but they just stare at the loom knock so there's a loom knock on there and they're just staring at that lit knock and they're like, what is that? And they're just kind of looking at it, and the doe goes up and licks it. <laughs> it's like, I'm like, uh, what are we what are we doing here, guys? Like, I'm scrambling, trying to get another arrow, and I'm thinking, like, because then all of a sudden this buck starts chasing off small bucks and everything, and I'm like, he was probably one of the funnest, 100% last year, other than the deer that I, other than the day that I killed my deer. For sure, that was the f- most fun all day sit hunt that I had and it ended in a miss and I did not get a second opportunity. Um, I could have probably taken a poor, poorly advised shot. It was really close to dark, still had barely had camera light, had the deer in the frame and I was going to draw, but I could not tell with even, I have better eyesight apparently than, than you do Jake, but, um, I could not tell even with my eyesight, I could not tell whether or not there were sticks and stuff in the way it was getting to that point where you start to kind of be able to lose beyond you know 30 yards or 40 yards you can't see smaller twigs and stuff like that so i wasn't 100 percent sure that i had an open uh shot opportunity like i had you know probably five minutes before that you know the, the light had changed so much in that last five minutes that it was like i wasn't confident that i was going to make a good shot and i was like this is 170 inch 10 point you know i mean it's it would have been by far my biggest archery buck. And I'm like, I just, I'm not going to take the shot. Like this deer's here. I missed him, but he's not spooked at all. He's fully focused on that doe. He's fully focused on keeping these smaller bucks away from her. Uh, I'm just going to wait until dark. And so I started to slowly pack up my stuff and just kind of chill. But, um, you know, you talk about like just being positive, you know, and just like, I could, that could have gone in a different way. Like, you know, um, your soon to be wife, uh, Courtney, you know, she, she took, she was mad, right? Like she was upset yeah. and she was mad, but she didn't let that deter her from wanting to get better. She let that, you know, fuel her to get better. And she's going to be, you know, she's coming back with a vengeance this fall and she's going to, she's going to drop one. So, I mean, that's, that's the thing. It's like, when you look at it from that perspective, you know, I could have gone a different way. Like I could have pouted and been mad or tried to force a shot because, you know, but I was just in awe, you know, it was a, I had a beautiful day. 
watched a ton of deer, watched a ton of deer chasing does, saw every single buck I had on trail camera that day, including the buck that I ended up killing. Um, he ran off the buck that I had passed on November 2nd. And I mean, you just talk about having a great day in the stand. Sure, it ended on a miss, but it was a clean miss. And the buck didn't get spooked. And it's like, you know what? Like I saw that deer on trail camera throughout the rest of the entire um, year. He just didn't come to that side of the farm. He stayed on the other side of the farm, um, which I could have hunted it, but I didn't have that side of the farm set up to really bow hunt as easy. Um, it's more that side of the farm is more set up to gun hunt. And so, um, yeah, I mean, you talk about just trying to make the best out of a bad situation. Like, man, I mean, I, I'm excited for Courtney and to see what, you know, to see what she's able to do next year. Cause I mean, she definitely has the drive and want. And I mean, speaking of that, I mean, she, she killed a Turkey with her bow last year, right? Uh, with a gun. It was oh, that's first, right. That's good. Yep. First Turkey ever. First turkey. Um, had it was actually the first animal that we had shot off of our home farm um we were lucky enough last year that uh we found a found a place that was within our price range before inflation um kind of a struggle now but it was within our price range um it's a beautiful 20 acre place and you know last year we basically spent the entire year trying to make that place what we wanted it to be uh, you know kind of what we envisioned um, because I I put up a bunch of reveals you know we bought it in January I was like man shed season's coming up I I have a big buck brush field in the back that I had dreams of a food plot and all these things and I think I got one buck on reveal between like January and March and I was I was kind of in awe because it's a granted I'm kind of surrounded by hay fields and CRP, but I have the bulk of the timber, you know, where the big timber draws kind of all come together. And I just wasn't seeing the amount of deer that I was thinking. And I sure wasn't seeing the turkeys. And as it, as turkey season kind of came along, I started seeing more turkeys and I started hearing more turkeys but they were, you know, kind of roosted on, you know, neighboring properties. But, you know, she kind of made it a point that she wanted to try turkey hunting this year. And, you know, those of you that know me know that I I have I have a pro, a couple properties, one that I can't hunt anymore, but I spent a long time trying to figure out how to turkey hunt it because there's a ton of birds there. And now that I've figured it out, like I'm going to milk that until I can't milk <laughs> it anymore. So I kind of let her have first dibs and she did really, really well. I, uh, I told her cause we were actually going to peanut oil that Turkey. Like I don't really like oven roasted Turkey just personally. Um, I like to peanut oil them, you know, on a, on a fryer. And those of you that haven't tried it, I, I recommend looking it up and trying it at least once. Um, but I told her, I said, if you don't shoot this turkey in the head, you have to pick out every BB out of the breast because I'm not doing it. And that motivated her. And if you slow-mo the video, it is absolutely amazing. The wad of that shell out of my youth 20 gauge that I've had for 20 years is going right for that turkey's head. And I'm, she smoked him, made an awesome shot. We had actually a, a pretty cool experience after that hunt. Um, 
I had actually called in a hen that we didn't know about, and we were still in the blind, and next thing you know, the hen's in the decoy, and, you know, playing with the tom, and then called in another tom, and it was pretty cool. I think, uh, I think this year's going to be pretty exciting with the work that we did last year. You know, we mowed a bunch of that buck brush down, created a really nice two-acre food plot that we're going to expand on this year. I think it's going to be a strut zone, so... I'm pretty excited to see what our farm will do this year and as we improve and make the habitat what we know it can be, you know, the the bigger caliber of deer will come in. Um but I had a I had a blast. You know, I shot my deer what, like the twenty eighth October, something like that. Um and early i you always i got you you always never you you guys like I don't know, some of those guys on the team like Drexel and you that tend to like kill out in October like none of us ever seem to get that accomplished <laughs> that's because I I swear that some of the does that are on my places just never come into heat <laughs> or you know the big bucks are just missing it so big bucks there's does in my area come on let's go because <laughs> it seems like I had a you know on my home place I got to hunt it pretty much all through the rut and I had one eight pointer that you know he was a nice buck but just not something that I wanted to go after, you know. And it, it so happened that my neighbor, it was the biggest buck that he's been seeing, and that was his target buck. And I ended up actually, you know, working with him on where to go on the farm that he could hunt, and he ended up killing that deer, which, you know, I was super happy for him. I'm not one of those guys that says, just because I'm not, it's not what I want to chase doesn't mean that it's not somebody else's dream. You know, some, right. some people want to go on an elk hunt or want to go on a mule deer hunt. You know, just because I don't want to do it doesn't mean that it's not your dream. And right. a, lo- a lot of people don't have 20 deer, you know, in the house. And if I start bringing in, you know, ones that aren't worth or to me aren't, you know, the same caliber as the deer that I have on the wall, my fiance might kill me. <laughs> well, and so it's, it's interesting. Like, um, you know, we're fortunate here in Iowa to basically, you know, honestly, like if you're a bow hunter in Iowa, in most cases, you will get an opportunity to kill, um, a Pope and young deer, which is 125 inches. So it's gotta be a clean 125 inches. Um, you know, so in most cases, if you're hunting in Iowa, you probably will get an opportunity at, at a deer that's somewhere in that range. Now, it might only be 115, you know, to, to 125, maybe 130. But, I mean, there's a lot to be said for, um, you know, that isn't, that isn't the normal. You know, I mean, like you get outside of Iowa – and if you're a bow hunter, um, like say in Mississippi or Alabama or Georgia or something like that, you are not going to get that kind of opportunity every single year. And so, you know, I think sometimes people that are from different parts of the country, they, they have maybe a skewed vision of what Iowa is. I mean, we do not have 170 inch deer walking around everywhere. Do or we have more of 40, 150s? 
Well, I mean, do we have more than others, other places? Probably. Is your likelihood to kill one higher here? Yeah. But I've been, I've been bow hunting in Iowa for, um, almost 20 years and I've, my biggest buck to date is 165 inches. So, and, and actually 163 and change. So it's not even, you know, I mean, and, and I killed that back in 2012, you know, and I've, I killed a lot of deer since then, but here the last couple of years, I've really focused on trying to break my personal best. Haven't done it yet. I've killed a couple of good, really mature bucks. Um, back in 2020, I killed a really nice, um, mature, at least five and a half year old buck, um, that heavy horns but he only went mid 150s um and then the the next year in 2021 i ended up killing i hunted until the like end of it was like got into thanksgiving i think it was the day after thanksgiving i ended up killing just a 130 inch eight pointer it was like man i, I want to put a deer in the freezer it's shotgun season next week and there's a bunch of bucks that came through and it's like, I'm going to take this deer because on that particular lease, there's, I mean, it was, it was, it was uh, probably a three-year-old eight-pointer. But on that farm, he's never going to be anything other than an eight-pointer. Um, you know, so, you know, was he what I was after? No, but I was happy with him. I was, you know, I was pumped. I was happy. I had had a successful season. I had hunted a lot. Last year, um, same thing. Really wanted to break my own personal best. Ended up shooting a mid one fifties, six and a half year old, um, you know, nine pointer. And I mean, he's a he, he's a great deer. I mean, he was a bruiser. I mean, he I watched him, you know, stomp up to other bucks that were four and a half and five and a half year olds and turn them around. Um, he was he was kind of the big bully on the block. He was the most mature buck that I had on trail camera. Um, I. I'm pretty sure that that 170 inch 10 was probably a five-year-old. So I'm pretty sure that this buck was older than that deer. Um, obviously the 10 pointer lived. So, uh, yeah, he, he made it all the way through the season and, um, uh, looking forward to finding his sheds hopefully. But, uh, he's a deer that next year could just be a giant. Um, hard to know, like when they get to be older like that, they don't make as big a jumps, but, you know, looking forward to seeing what he turns into and possibly hunting that deer. But, um, you know, we, you know, we kind of joked with Ian about it in the first podcast about, you know, we're talking about, you know, I think Ian called the deer he shot this year a dink. It's like, dude, it's 160 plus inch deer that you called a dink. It's like, you know, like that you only happens in Iowa. Like nobody, and nobody, he wasn't being serious, but in reference to the fact that Zach, you know, killed a 210 inch, you know, monster, um, you killed a 170 inch stud. Um, that was that your personal best. That is. And it, yeah. you know, for example, it took me 21 years to break the 170. Yeah. And it took me, I think 17 to break 150. I mean, yeah. it, you know, it's it's one of those things that I believe you grow and mature as a bow hunter and 
sometimes it wasn't the ground I was hunting. It wasn't anything like that. It was the fact that I couldn't pass 130, and that's why right. I didn't shoot a 150. Or some years I just didn't get the opportunity. But, you know, along those same lines that you're talking, as long as the hunter's happy, I'm always happy for the hunter. You know, it doesn't matter if it's yep. a fork buck. If you love – if if you come to me and you have those stars in your eyes and we all know that look, yep. I'm happy for you. It doesn't yep. matter if you're my neighbor or if you hunt in Arkansas. I'm happy for you. I'll never put down another hunter for what they decide to kill because ultimately it's not my decision and we don't own any of right. them. So what's the well, point? Well, and, and, and be proud of it. Like, you know, to those guys that feel like, the, you know, if you were happy when you pulled the trigger and you walk up to it and you're, you know, you're pumped and then you're like, then you take pictures and you look at the pictures and you're like, oh, what are people going to say on social media? Who cares? Like, you know, and, and honestly, don't be that guy on social media that, you know, that does run somebody down because of the size of the deer. Like, you know what? Like, um, that's not what, you know, I mean, trophy management, whatever you want to call it and that kind of stuff. Like you can work with your neighbors to have a common understanding, you know, even with your friends, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and, um, a buddy of mine from Northeast Iowa, you know, made this comment to me several years ago during when we used to shotgun hunt together. And, you know, I'm like, well, because well, I, I made a comment to him, like, what if I shoot one of your target bucks that, that you want to live until next year. Like, cause we were, we were shotgun deer hunting his, you know, home farm and that kind of stuff. And it's like, are there deer that are off limits? And he's like, no, not really. He's like, but there's a couple of deer that if you get the opportunity, if you think about it, if you let them walk, that'd be great, you know, because it's going to, they're going to be a monster next year. But Hey, if you're happy and you want to shoot it, shoot it. And and I said, are you sure, man? Like, I don't want to, I don't want to make you mad. And he goes, man, he goes, no deer is worth a friend, uh, worth a friendship, you know, worth ruining a friendship over. And that's one thing that kind of stuck with me. Like he genuinely said, you know, like no deer is worth it. And he's right. Like there's not a deer out there. I don't care how big it is. That's worth ruining a friendship over. And so many people lose sight of that. They get so worked up and it doesn't, even if they're not friends, but like, I mean, just somewhat friendly with your neighbors and they just ruin that relationship because they berate them for killing their target buck for next year. You know, I've heard some crazy stories out there and it's like, I mean, get a grip people like it's supposed to be, you know, a fun activity and as soon as we start putting so much pressure on ourselves to kill the next 200 inch deer and that kind of stuff, you know, like just be happy, you know, and if you are fortunate enough to even be hunting deer of that caliber, think about how fortunate you are because not everybody has the ability to hunt 170, 180, 190 or 200 inch deer like we do in Iowa. I mean, and, and I try to prepare myself. You know, we talked about preparation earlier. I do. I, I want to, like, be prepared every sit I every time I sit in that tree stand. I want to mentally prepare myself to and, and have physically prepared myself, whether I shoot my bow, whatever the case may be. But I want to at least have my mental state to where 
I'm ready to kill a 200 inch deer. If it walks out, I'm not crapping my pants, you know, and, and freaking out that I'm going to make a mistake. I just, you know, go into Terminator mode and, you know, just make the shot. Right. You know, um, just everything kind of, you know, at least for me, I don't get the shakes. I don't get the buck fever and that kind of stuff until after I release the arrow. Um, it's, I've, it's the way I've always been. Like people talk about like, Oh, I'd be shaking. It's like, man, I don't get rattled. Like even when it's turkeys and stuff, like I hear those turkeys gobbling and that kind of stuff. And they're coming in and closing the distance. My heart's pounding. Don't get me wrong. That heart, that heart's beating and I can feel it, but I'm, I, I have a, you know, I just, I stay calm and I just chill and make the shot. And I've had times where I've rushed a shot um, or forced a shot, maybe is a better way to say it. Um, taking a shot that I shouldn't have taken. Um, luckily, that's not bitten me too many times, but I even heard, you know, Cameron Haynes talk about it. You know, there's been some times where, you know, maybe because he does shoot as often as he does, that maybe he forced a shot that he shouldn't have forced because he otherwise, he knows he can make that shot. But he also knows it's a little bit iffy, but he takes the shot anyway. And he, he, those are the, some of the times where he said like he had, like, that's one that I wish I would have had back. Like if I have any kind of, not necessarily a regret, but maybe I would have not put that pressure on so much. I, that was in his last book, um, his new book, uh, Endure. And, and so, um, that was you know, one of the things I took away from that particular book when I read it was, yeah, yeah, there's definitely, I can think back to some times where I, I maybe forced a shot that I shouldn't have. Yeah. So kind of like what you were talking about there, uh, maturing as a bow hunter, it's just something that as we kind of grow, um, you know, and we find those experiences when it makes sense to, you know, maybe not force the arrow, maybe not force the issue, but it doesn't mean that you necessarily won't at times find yourself, like, uh, but it's having the awareness to understand that, okay, maybe next time I shouldn't, you know, force that arrow. So really think that that's something that right. is important as bow hunters. If you can at least recognize, have that self-awareness, um, to know how to react to certain situations just to be better, you know, um, it makes you, you know, uh, it's kind of like not thinking that you're, you know, that you've got it all figured out because none of us do. It doesn't matter what aspect of life you're talking about. Like you can always learn and you can always get better at something. And I mean, you'll find this out when you're married. Like you can always be better at everything. <laughs> and you know, it ties right back into maybe next year you prepare a little bit more, you know, if you had to force a shot through some sticks or something like that. And you know, maybe a bit, yeah, or maybe it didn't, you know, next year you're, you're like, okay, I'm either going to move this stand over to this area where I can still shoot here, or I'm going to do a little bit more trimming or, you know, it, it helps you learn. And every failure, if you look at it and it doesn't matter what you're talking about life or, or bow hunting, every failure, if you look at it as such and don't find the positives and the learning opportunities in it, then you're just never going to get better at anything. And you're just going to complain forever about how you're not good at things yeah. and 
you know, I, I can't stand to be around those kinds of people. I've tried to surround myself, you know, the Victory Outdoors group included in people that are, are positive and I think that are just happier people because of it. You know, you just, and, it, and some of it comes with, you know, as you get further on into life, I have found out, but you just start to look at things from a different lens of, you know, learning from those missed opportunities, even, you know, if it was a successful hunt, you know, the blind idea that, uh, you know, Ian thought that there was absolutely no way I could shoot through that stuff. And I basically found a little tiny hole and I was confident in it and I took it. Granted, I made an excellent shot. Now I took a picture of that, that night. And I'm like, there's absolutely no way I should have gotten arrow through there. Yeah. <laughs> no way. Yeah. And I mean, so. and that's the thing. Like, I mean, you know, your limits, you know what you can take and you made the shot. Um, and you know, so, some other people might not have been confident enough to take the shot. That's fine. Like, it's a very personal thing. Like knowing your personal limits when it comes to archery or anything, whether it's with a rifle or, or a shotgun or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, being able to know, you know, what you're comfortable with and, and what you can and can't be successful with doing um, is part of hunting. And some of it, you know, hopefully not a lot of it. You have to learn the hard way. Um, but but sometimes you do. And, you know, um, to speak on, you know, like kind of surrounding yourself with, you know, like minded people, you know, uh, there's a saying, you know, you are the company you keep. Um, I think it's really important for high school kids, young adults to hear that. Um, I know as a young, young adult, like there was times where I surrounded my people, surrounded myself with people that I probably shouldn't have been hanging out with. Um, I had no business hanging out with. They were into stuff that I shouldn't, you know, that I wasn't necessarily into. I was just hanging out with them cause you know, they were like the cool kids or whatever. Um, and you know, but you know, like, kind of goes with the you know when you're in elementary school you know guilty by association like you're standing with a group of kids that threw rocks at somebody you're probably going to be in trouble um because you were in that group you know um you may not have been picking up rocks and throwing them at you know (laughs) the other class but you know you are the company you keep and man i mean it's crazy like it's you know, in some cases it's life or death. You know, you get to be older. Like it's one thing on a playground to teach your kids that it's another thing to be hanging out with the wrong people. And, you know, somebody does something crazy, you know, and now either you're put in a life threatening situation or your freedom is put in, in, in question because now you're guilty by association of some other crazy crime. Now I'm, I know we're getting real deep here, <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're way down that rabbit hole, but, um, you know, bottom line is, you know, it can go that far, you know? Um, and that's like, you know, with, with the guys at Victor Outdoors and stuff like that, I'm super selective and you know who I choose you know to bring on and and who's on the team and there's people that have come and gone and by no means do the people that have left the team um some of them you know just they didn't have time you know to devote to it uh some of them wanted to do their own thing uh and that kind of thing and that's perfectly fine like I you know I mean we've 
all been there before. Um, I, you know, I mean, I have kids now. Like when I started Victory Outdoors, I didn't have kids, you know. And so my, you know, my reality is different than it was when I first started out doing this. And because of that, um, my commitment to my family and that kind of stuff is something that has to be considered when I start laying out a hunt schedule, right? Like I can't just decide I'm going to hunt six states for turkeys like I used to. Like that's not going to work with raising children, you know. So that's something that, um, you know, having guys that are understanding of that, they understand, you know, that kind of stuff. Either they've been through it or they're currently going through it um, or they're just good dudes that understand like, hey, you know, the guys who have kids or who have, you know, they can't, you know, drop everything and necessarily run out and help, you know, as much as I'd love to put my hands on it. Like you're one of the guys that, you know, some of the other, like Ian or somebody like that might call up and say, Hey man, can you come out and drag a deer? And you're like, I'm already in the truck, <laughs> you know, type of thing, Absolutely. you know, but like sometimes like depending on what's going on in my life, like I might not be able to get out. Like I might be closer than even you are at times. And it's like, man, I'd love to, but like, I'm in the middle of getting these kids to bed. Like, <laughs> like I can't, I can't come out and help right now. Well, but you and I ran into it yeah. this year. You know, um, you, the when Courtney missed was actually the same day that you killed, and you had called me the night before, and you had asked, you know, do you want to come oh, yeah. run camera? And I, you know, as much as it pained me to say, like I promised Courtney that we'd go in the morning, you know, but to have that experience, and you know, you did a wonderful job of getting it all, you know, on film and and everything by yourself, which is a feat in yeah. itself. So congratulations on that. Well, I saw you, uh, I, you did but, it. And then in October and then, uh, the two, the last year, um, watching Drexel, like the last couple of years, really, I think he's like self filmed at least three buck kills. Um, if I'm not mistaken. And so that kind of gave yeah. me a little bit of a boost like hey you know what like if these other guys can do this like because i just wouldn't go like if i didn't have dennis to go hunt with me or, or you weren't able to come or goody wasn't going to jump in the tree with me or something like that like if i didn't have one of the guys or ian even and i mean ian you know he's hunting with lakota a lot more you know they hunt together just like me and carrie hunt together so if carrie couldn't go dennis couldn't go you couldn't go or goody didn't couldn't go hunt i just didn't go like I wasn't gonna go and not, it, it, I I was. Comes down to discipline. I wasn't sure that I would have the discipline needed, to not pull the trigger even if the camera wasn't on. Like I and and so I was like, I'm just not gonna go, like because I don't want to be that guy that shoots a deer off film when I'm the owner of Victory Outdoors and and I expect you guys to get it done on film, and then be the owner and not do it. You know, it's like that can't happen. So I just didn't go, but then I kind of felt inspired <clears throat> by your success and, and also by, um, you know, Drexel's success. Like, okay, well, if those guys could do it, maybe I, maybe I should just, you know, just get it done, you know, just drag in the extra equipment, take the camera arm. Cause when Dennis and I hunt, we don't use a camera arm. We just film each other, handhold it, that kind of thing. Um, same thing with Carrie. Like when I when Carrie and I film together, we don't we don't use a we don't use a camera arm. And kudos <clears throat> to you because when Courtney was Courtney shot yeah. at that buck, that's probably the worst footage that I've ever <laughs> laid down because my knees were yeah. like weak the yeah. entire time. I will say this: like when you watch your family, you know, and that kind of stuff, and your loved ones like be successful, 
that gets me more riled up. Like when it's when I'm not behind the gun. Like some of Natalie's hunts, I've been shaking before she pulled the trigger because I was excited for her. Um, but me personally, when I'm in the zone, like I just that doesn't it doesn't get me like that. But certainly uh, when you're watching, it is a little bit different. But when it's Dennis. Um, I don't know. I guess Carrie, I've when when, she, when I've had her hunts, they've unfolded so quickly that it's kind of like one of those things. Like just you know, I'm more worried about directing her and that kind of stuff. I'm talking through talking her through it, so I'm not really thinking about. I'm not sitting there caught in the moment watching it on the viewfinder. I'm trying to make sure that you know, like I'm telling her like <clears throat> to draw. Like I can remember that doe that she killed, the one that died in the ditch. Um, <clears throat> like. Like, I remember telling her, like, the deer spooked. Like, it got downwind of us. It was, like, 10 yards, like, right underneath the stand. And it spooked because it got downwind of us. And it wheeled out. And, it, and when it spooked, I was like, I just said, draw. And she did. She knew. She drew. And that deer stopped at 15 yards, like, went a whole five yards. Stopped and turned broadside and just looked dead at us. And I'm like, kill it. She made a great shot. But, like, a lot of times, like, I wasn't. You know, I wasn't caught in the moment necessarily, but I can definitely, I've been there before with Natalie where it wasn't her first deer, her first buck I wasn't, it happened so fast, but the second buck I definitely found myself kind of caught in the moment, looking over at Ian, Ian was filming, thinking, yep, this is going to go down, like she's going to make the shot, and I was starting to get a little jittery before she shot. Um, but so I could definitely, I could definitely, uh, you know, understand, uh, being in that role, but man, it's been a blast. Uh, um, can't wait to see what you do this spring, both, uh, in the 3d, uh, realm as well as the Turkey woods, man. Um, maybe you and I can get together and do some Turkey hunting. It's been a couple of years since I think you and I have gotten the Turkey woods together. So maybe we'll, uh, try to get together and, uh, put them down with the bows. Um, I need to kill one with a bow. I've, it's been a few years since I've killed one with a bow, so maybe I should make that a, a point to get that done. But man, it's absolutely man. I know I made you jealous with all those toms, you know, beating yeah. up on my dead. Uh, yeah, dead tom I mean, or yeah, toms. I mean, uh, guess you'll have to watch the episode. Yeah, to find yeah. Out. I mean, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> Jake's turkey hunt lasted one day and he killed two toms in iowa so i mean you can take from it what you like but as you just heard there were multiple toms he was self-filming nobody else had a bow <laughs> he was out of tags and uh yeah i i would have loved to been there that was like one of those things where it wasn't it was still first season though wasn't it uh it was actually okay. second season okay so believe, see like i um yeah yeah after. so i tagged out uh, I tagged out uh, the second day of first season. The first day, Zach tagged out. And that episode will be coming up here pretty shortly, too. Um, so keep an eye out on Carbon TV Waypoint for that. Um, and, and it's also our YouTube sh uh, channel as well. So we'll be dropping those episodes uh, here in the next couple of weeks as we kind of creep closer to turkey season here in the Midwest. But, uh, man, it's been a blast talking to you. Um, we'll have you on again uh, maybe after turkey season, and we'll recap that. Try to get uh, – probably try to get set up where we can get, like, you know, a handful of us on and kind of do a, a turkey camp update. Um so we're going to get together and probably have a big team meeting, a big turkey hunt uh, in southern Iowa. And 
we'll try to get uh, the whole crew on here and see if we can't uh, do a big old podcast and uh, get the team together and, and kind of update everybody. Probably try to do that fourth season of Iowa, so we'll all hunt uh, the first part of Iowa and then uh, see where that goes. Um, see who's got a tag left in fourth season. Um, but uh, man, it's been good talking to you, and good luck with the uh, good luck Absolutely. with the. Uh, uh, 3d this year and then um it'll it'll be great but uh hey thanks guys for listening out there um this is victory outdoors the podcast and uh as always check us out at victory outdoors at facebook as well as instagram thanks guys